Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. That is the sound of political debate in America in 2020. Ugly, accusatory, and pretty extreme. But let me just take you through it again because it's a pretty noisy scene. It was a sunny mid-June Sunday in a place called The Villages, a retirement community in Florida, which is advertised as America's friendliest hometown. There's this older white guy dressed for summer in cargo shorts and a t-shirt, sunglasses and a black Trump baseball cap. And he's driving this golf buggy decorated with Trump 2020 and America First flags. And there's a woman with him, possibly his wife, in the passenger seat. And she's just yelling, Trump, Trump. And they pass this other older white guy who's standing at the roadside, who obviously doesn't share their love of the president. And he's holding this sign that says, make America sane again. Where's your white hood, he yells. Where's your white hood? At the guy in the golf cart. And then he follows it up with chanting, racist, racist. And the guy in the golf cart, one hand on the wheel and his left hand kind of raised in this clenched fist, shouts back, yeah, you've got it. White power, white power. So yeah, that's two sides hurling insults at each other in this kind of bizarre moment of ritual conflict. And of course, they live in this very peculiar place. It's a community of more than 50,000 pretty comfortably off retirees, 50 miles from Orlando in this sort of disnified world of dream homes and golf courses, church groups and nightly entertainment in the town square. And it, it kind of looks like something out of the good place, this sort of superficially perfect but obviously unreal place. But they can't stop the real world from intruding and they also just can't get along. And so as we enter the last 50 days of the US election campaign, it, it can seem like the entire nation is kind of doing something similar to, to that moment, resorting to irrational behaviour and extreme responses. It feels like there's no longer any civilised forum to debate or negotiate differences. I'm Basha Cummings, and in this week's Slow Newscast, we're heading south to the perennial swing state. And the question that we're asking is, can weird, unfathomable Florida 
help us make sense at last of what is going on in 2020. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher in an app, online, in our daily Sensemaker email, and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news, and we'd love for you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism, and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download our app and take the free trial. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and help make the news. So we're into the critical weeks ahead of the US presidential race with this ominous sense that anything could happen before and after polling day. And the questions are these. Will Donald Trump get four more years or will Joe Biden help Americans turn the page? Will it be an election about COVID and about competence? Is it going to be about law and order and racial justice? Or is it going to be just further evidence of this hopelessly divided nation where rival camps choose their own reality? And of course, if there is a winner on November the 3rd, will half of the US be in any mood to accept the result? And what happens then? So we're focusing on Florida because somehow it's always ended up as the centre of attention. It's the punchline state with the wildest storylines and the strangest twists. Is a place of hurricanes and sinkholes, gators and pythons, pointless fights and brilliantly hapless criminals. It's a place where this year, in the middle of a pandemic, cops actually banned face masks and politicians opened up the beaches while COVID-19 cases were still rising. And it's a place that, in elections, always seems to teeter on the brink of chaos or controversy. So first, let's rewind. The important pivotal state of Florida, now we have awarded that to Vice President Al Gore. It's 20 years ago and it's Bush versus Gore. The moment when the machinery of American democracy failed. When a too-close-to-call election all came down to a handful of votes in Florida. And I can, I can remember it. Granted, I was tiny, but I remember it. And it was the moment that my generation became aware of something weird going on in American politics. The night started with the state being called for the Democrat, Al Gore, who had just spent eight years as Bill Clinton's vice president. But then... Whew, what a night. 217 for Bush, 172 for Gore after Florida was moved back into the undecided column. All of us at the networks made a mistake and projected Florida in the Al Gore column. In the early hours, Al Gore conceded defeat and then... The vice president has recalled the governor and retracted his concession, oh. saying that Florida is uh, too close right now. And so... Recount, they are saying. Recount. recount. A recount began. There's no reason to think that this election was going to end any less bizarrely than Arguments raged about the validity of ballot papers where voting machines had not punched all the way through a card, or where confusing layouts meant that some Democratic supporters of Gore came out of the voting booths with a kind of sinking feeling that maybe they had punched the wrong hole. 
and it took a month of legal battles all the way up to the Supreme Court before the recount was finally stopped and George W. Bush was declared the winner in Florida by 537 votes out of almost 6 million cast. Wild. The Supreme Court's 5-4 decision also meant that Bush then won the White House too. Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd president of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. And there were warm words on Inauguration Day. I thank Vice President Gore for a contest conducted with spirit and ended with grace. And within a year, President Bush was contending with the 9-11 attacks and had sent the US and the world on a trajectory that we're still on today. So Florida's reputation as the ultimate consequential swing state was sealed that year in 2000. And ever since, elections there have been pretty tight. Obama won the state twice, but with barely a fraction of over 50% of the vote. And in 2016, Hillary Clinton actually got more votes than Obama ever did, but she still lost to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has won the state of Florida, one of his must-win states right there. By just 1.2% in a contest with a very high turnout. He was going to win that state. He's got a home in that state. He worked hard in that state. That result was not the decisive moment in 2016. It wasn't the thing that tipped Donald Trump into the White House. But along with the narrowest of margins in Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania... Florida helped the stars align for Trump. And four years later, the question really is, is the state ready to flip again? And will its disastrous approach to COVID-19 be a factor for voters? Ignoring a pandemic does not make it go away. That's why states like Florida are in such dire straits. And of course, we're going to have to talk about Ron DeSantis. He made Trump happy, Governor DeSantis did. And now more Floridians than they can count accurately appear to be sick. He's Florida's Republican governor, a staunch Trump ally, Harvard educated, but resolutely populist. And, you know, he's got presidential ambitions of his own. But he has had a horrible time during COVID-19 after choosing to follow the Trump approach of, I don't know, trying to wish the virus away. He opened the beaches, he refused to bring in statewide mask laws and helped Florida endure a spike in coronavirus that has led to 680,000 cases and 11,500 deaths. And if Florida was a country, it would be placed fifth in the world on the list of places with the most COVID cases. Reading the politics would be hard enough if Florida had a good record of counting the votes. But this long, thin state with a C on both sides is a mass of contradictions and contrasts. There are 10 different media markets with 21.5 million people, which makes it a hard state for campaigns to target with their attack ads. Miami-Dade is overwhelmingly Democrat because of its Latino population, even though the Cubans of Little Havana are actually quite conservative. The panhandle at the top bordering Louisiana and Georgia is mostly deep red, staunch Trump country. And then there's the crucial I-4 corridor, which connects Daytona on the East Coast to Tampa and St. Petersburg on the Gulf Coast, the swing area where the election will likely be decided. One in four Floridians live here. Turnout is key. Biden only wins if enough Trump supporters switch or stay at home. 
So yes, we wanted to know about how people are feeling about politics and public health. So we got boots on the ground and we've got a reporter who's been spending time in the villages. But first, we need a guide. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Florida. I, st- I still live here and uh, I've been uh, writing with the uh, Miami Herald uh, since 1976. And I've been writing novels on the side for a long time, for over close to 40 years as personal therapy, psychotherapy, because uh, Florida, even back in those days, was such a wild, uh, insane place. Carl Hyacin is the chronicler of Florida in all of its delightful, decaying strangeness for more than 30 years. Oh, I wish it was only 20 and 30 years. Uh, (laughs) His novels like Sick Puppy, uh, Basket Case uh, and Skinny Dip have basically turned over every stone in the state in search of miscreants and their misdeeds. And so I wanted to talk to him first. I sort of came of age, I suppose, and and began to pay attention to American politics with Bush Gore and that moment. Of course, yeah. You know, ever since then, in some ways, Florida has been a kind of caricature. (laughs) And I wonder, what is it about Florida that lends itself to being such a caricature, do you, do you think? Because also it's something that you play with in your writing. Oh, I rely on it. There's a consistent flow of, of weird shit that happens every single day. <laughs> being in the newspaper business and being exposed to all those things, there was just a lot of material you could play with and turn it into something. And to us, it was normal. You know, but it, it seemed to me that people were fascinated with Florida outside outside of Florida. I mean, they were intrigued by it because almost everybody in the country has a grandmother or an aunt or somebody who's retired to Florida or somebody who's running from a parole officer in Florida. I mean, there's all family attachments, all manners of scoundrel over here. But Bush Gore really put the spotlight on it and sort of then from that emanated the, the, the Florida, Florida D-U-E thing and that became, you know, hashtag Florida man. But for us, it was just the Bush Gore fiasco, sort of a natural extension of how, you know, fucked up the place was on a daily basis. And um, the main the main refrain in Florida was, "Why here? Why did it have to happen here?" You said that Florida is a place where mad shit happens. Describe to me what that mad shit is to you. On a daily basis, I mean, it could it could be. It could be anything. The whole the way the whole COVID thing was handled, or from the weirdest news stories. There's extreme levels of crime in Florida. So if you have bad guys in your novel running around, there there are a couple of them in Squeeze Me running around doing things. You you want to make sure you're within you're sort of within the bounds of reality, but you want to write something memorable. Sometimes it is just impossible to outdo reality. Carl talked about one story that was in the news while he was writing the book. They arrest this guy in a Walmart. He's decided to have a very intimate relationship with a stuffed, a stuffed figure of a character from the Disney movie Frozen. And I haven't seen Frozen, so I don't know. Is there a princess in Frozen? There are a couple, yeah. Anyway, he starts humping this giant stuffed figure in the Walmart, and the, the security guards come, and they, they wrestle him, and they scream, and they wrestle him off, and, and he immediately jumps on another doll, another character, and they drag him off. And everyone just sort of standing around and it's over. They go back to shopping. It's just Florida. It throws you off as a writer because I would not have thought of that. I wouldn't even have put it. I don't think I would have dared put it in a book. 
So you're, you're, you're kind of racing to keep up with Florida with your own absurdities. All the time. I mean, I think I'll be honest with you. This is true of outside of Florida in this country right now. Let's zoom out then. Where does Trump, the man at the heart of the election, but also a registered Florida resident, fit into all of this? I'm here because I want to be among my friends and among the people. I wonder, does Trump embody something of the soul of Florida? Is that why he loves it there so much? Or is he sort of colonizing it? So we've been attracting wealthy people for years. And some of them are legitimate wealthy people and some of them are scoundrels and tax cheats. Um, but they have a lot of money and it's safer in Florida. And, and plus they don't have the big tax bumps. So as soon as that law passed that Trump pushed through, he changed his legal residence from Fifth Avenue, New York to, to Florida, Mar-a-Lago. And um, I don't think he has any soulful attachment to this state other than the golf. And when events are so absurd, how do you view your role as a journalist? And how do people in Florida and the U.S. view the role of journalism now? Journalists have never been beloved in, in, in the history of our republic. This is nothing new. The level of rhetoric and the level of violence and threatened violence towards journalists is, is quite worrisome. It's one thing you just watch these Trump rallies where they're all screaming about fake news and CNN. Well, they don't, they don't want real news. They want to. They want to be told exactly what they what they want in their hearts to believe. They don't want to hear anything. That's just a lie. They're just uh, and and it is fomented by a, a a president, ironically, who in his public life has always used the media, always to promote himself. When the media suddenly does and start playing that game with him, he turns on them. And the thing that worries me now is the level of violence. You know, obviously, you know my own. My own brother was killed. Carl's brother, Rob, was a journalist at Capital Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland. He was one of five people who were killed in a mass shooting in the newsroom in 2018. There's no evidence that the shooter was a, a, a Trump supporter or anything else, but he had a beef with the newspaper over a story that appeared years or years earlier that my, my brother wasn't involved and none of the people who were murdered were involved in, in publishing that story. But this, you know, it was just an, another nut with a gun, you know. You guys, you made my day. All right, you made ours. <laughs> Yeah, the people going by in the in the in the golf in the uh, cars. If they, all right, all right. If if we if you hear a you know beep 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 beep, that's a good beep. If you hear oh, you know he just lays on the horn. Usually you're getting the middle finger. That was the sound of the villages, the Florida version of divided America. And, and just a word on the villages and why they're such a great place to understand the two great themes of this election, security and the coronavirus. It's perfect because the residents have gone there in search of security. The villages are manicured, unreal, otherworldly. But the residents there are elderly, so they're also vulnerable to coronavirus. And for me, that's why it's been such an important location for us to understand what's going on on the ground. 
We asked Jackie Goddard, a journalist who has lived and worked in Florida for many years, to go on the road for us and visit some of the people responsible for these strange ritual confrontations that have been taking place ahead of the election. Hi, Jackie. How are you doing? Hello. Very well, thank you, Basha. Good. Very good. So you've been to the Villages, which calls itself America's friendliest hometown. But we know after seeing that white power clip and the golf cart video that it might not actually be that friendly. So what did you find when you went there? You don't live in the villages to be close to the real world in all its raw detail. You live there because it's a bubble in which you're insulated from the real world, um, but not from each other. It's a very sociable, active lifestyle place. For some of its residents, it's political divide. And this is a Republican stronghold with a very dominant pro-Trump tone has taken the edge off that recently. The white power episode, which uh, occurred during a pro-Trump golf cart parade through the villages. Um, Such an amazing image. <laughs> indeed, was, was what the head of the Villages for Trump organisation, John Calandro, told me was, was a passing moment. Um, he admitted an unfortunate moment. It's really unfortunate that, 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 that somebody, somebody reacted that way. So Jackie went to see John Calandro, head of Villagers for Trump. Which is by no means representative of the 132,000 people here, Republican or Democrat. I, I would dare say that the, the Democrats I know will, will disavow the people who were doing the taunting. Okay, and, and so that's what's been lost in this. Last time I talked to Chris, she's saying, oh, it's just, it's just terrible the way we're being treated. Huh? I mean, we had, we had a golf cart rally, 1,400 people. No dissidents. They had theirs. Nobody showed up to taunt them. I said, I'm not quite sure what the Democrats are talking about. You don't believe that the discourse that people talk about being fearful of, the sort of painting yeah, and I, taunting, and you don't believe I, I don't know what they're talking about. If you want to talk about a downside, okay, let's talk about the fact that Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job and we have to find out who did they kill? If it's possible, how are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That the, the, the other party, particularly, look at the leadership. They have spent three years trying to accomplish nothing except to take this man down. Okay, so is there a downside of the president next four years? Yeah, particularly if we see more of the same out of the other party, which is which is the nonsense that they've been going through. They've spent all of the three and a half years trying to bring down the presidency. And I have to say to myself, I don't know how much of that frustration any one person can can tolerate. The village is, is, is referred to as a microcosm of America. It has that, uh, the, the, the white retiree demograph that a lot of people will look to and say is, is a significant pro-Trump demograph. I was interested in a, in a letter that was written to one of the local newspapers in the villages in which a lady who then I actually met when I went there spoke about how she feels afraid to live there. And do you feel safe? For the most part, she said hesitantly. <laughs> um, if you, if safe is like nobody's going to, I hope nobody's going to shoot me. But there's another kind of safe, safe so that when I go to the grocery store, nobody says anything to me or nobody does anything, you know, nobody touches me, um, nobody does anything to my car. So there's kind of there's kind of levels of safety, I suppose. And she talks about incidents in which people's Joe Biden flags have been ripped down. She had a vase on her driveway broken. She said cars have been keyed. Campaign signs have been torn down. There have been anecdotal reports of people leaving unsavory gifts in each other's golf carts, including bags of dog poop. Somebody else who poured beer inside somebody else's golf cart. And and I, she makes, she makes little definition between who is doing what to who. Her letter was very much just, uh, I'm fed up with this tone in the villages. She talks about threatening hand gestures and not just the one finger salute, which I witnessed yesterday too. I spent some of my time sitting with a Democratic protester beside a road who has some very controversial Trump signs and people would drive past both cheering and um, and shouting support, and others drove past in their little golf carts, giving a one-finger salute. One person spat at us. And so, I mean, beyond the dog poo and the, you know, flags being ripped down, what surprised you most about your time there? I think what struck me most was actually I didn't have to go searching with binoculars to find Joe Biden supporters. I found that people were pretty vocal in their support of Joe Biden when compared to what Chris Stanley, the head of um, of the Democrats there, told me was once a very sort of almost like an underground movement. She said when she first moved to the villages six years ago, 
she would wear a, a Democrat T-shirt. It was kind of her way of making friends and, and integrating and and um, sort of setting up her social circle. And she would have a, a Democrat bumper stickers or a Democrat T-shirt on. And she said people would come up to her and whisper, I'm a Democrat too. And she'd say, well, why, why are you whispering? We need to be out there with it. I just wanted to return to one of the people that you spoke to, Jackie, um, a Republican that you spoke to, Mark Ovenhouse, who's 64 years old, who said that he would be voting for Biden. Yes. Now, he was a very interesting gentleman. He comes from a Republican family. Now, am I correct that you are a Republican? I am a re- I'm a registered Republican. How do you refer to yourself still now? I still refer to myself as a Republican. His mother was a Republican worker all her life. Um, he's voted Republican all his life in 2016, just didn't vote for Trump as the candidate. But he says he is 500% behind Joe Biden. I am, Well, I am... I would probably vote for just about anyone against Trump. Let me put it that way. Um, I don't consider Trump to be a traditional Republican. Uh, I, I don't. He doesn't fit any of my core values for the Republicans. You, if you go against him, you're done. I mean, that's and that's that's not how a president should operate. I mean, that's that's childish. I have an 11-year-old grandson who I think reads better, speaks better, and acts better. <laughs> So where does Florida fit into the national picture? We know that it's flipped in the last 20 years from Republican to Democrat and back to Republican. And we know, as one of the biggest states, that it's of outsized importance in the election. Since 1992, the winner in Florida has won the presidency too. It's worth remembering that nationally, Hillary Clinton got the most votes four years ago. 65.8 million Americans chose her almost three million more than voted for Donald Trump. But he became president because of the way that the Electoral College works. And it's a confusing, outdated system, but it is actually pretty simple. Every state has its own winner-takes-all presidential contest. Small states like Delaware or sparsely populated ones like Montana are worth three Electoral College votes to the winner. The bigger states are worth much more. California delivers 55 votes. Florida is worth 29 collect 270 votes, and you win the race. So the Electoral College is what matters. Narrow margins in key states are what count, not piling up the votes in friendly states. We know New York and California will go Biden, and that much of the South and Midwest is certain to go for Trump, so it's really only a handful of states that are truly in the balance. But to remind ourselves of where they are, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan all went for Trump last time by tiny margins, so if Biden tips them back, he'll be the president. But if Biden takes back Florida, the job gets much, much easier. Which is why some traditional Republicans are doing everything that they can so that Joe Biden can win there. These are the never-Trumpers who are now unashamedly fighting for a Democrat. I'm Bill Kristol. I've been involved in Republican politics for, I guess, quite a long time. I came to Washington in 1985 to work in the Reagan and then the George H.W. Bush administrations. Uh, did some other... I wanted to talk to Bill Kristol. He's a conservative intellectual and, until Trump came along, he was a lifelong Republican. 
But now he's fighting against the president. I've been pretty involved in various uh, anti-Trump efforts, uh, organizing Republicans especially, uh, to uh, those who were willing to uh, oppose Donald Trump. Do you see yourself as a as a bit of a rare bird? Do you feel quite alone at this moment? Uh, somewhat. I, I also not so sure I see myself fully in the Republican Party at this moment, since it is Trump's party. And so I can say that I have Republican credentials, and I do, and I can, and I, there are others with me, of course, who aren't supporting Donald Trump, some of them quite distinguished, former Republican office holders, I would say. And, but, uh, you know, I shouldn't, I wouldn't want to kid myself or anyone else. The party is split, but it's 90% for Trump and 10% uh, uh, renegades and dissenters. Now, whether that would change after Trump's defeated is, is a huge question and obviously a very important one, I think, for the future of American politics. So let's zoom out a little bit. I'm keen to, to know how, how you see what's happening around you in America. It's an unusual time. I do think if you've, yes, if you've watched America for the last you know, 50, 60, 70 years, you expected perhaps a demagogue to rise up in the United States Senate. You knew that we had real deep racial uh, problems and issues, and that those could be exploited by politicians. And the trouble with Trump, and the reason why this is such a different moment, is uh, he won the nomination of the party. Well, that that can happen. It's, you know, it's it's a weird process, a somewhat fluky, flukish fr- process. Then he won the presidency, somewhat uh, drew an inside straight, but he did. Uh, now he's governed as Trump. Many people expected. Well, okay, he'll govern a little differently than he campaigned. Uh, and the whole party's gone along with him. And you put all that together, and suddenly you have a moment where the extremism, the, the racial prejudices, uh, the nativism, all these things that, of course, have been around in America and in most countries, presumably, uh, but uh, have been sort of on the fringes in, in, in many cases of the Republican Party and the conservative movement, suddenly are front and center. And that changes things a lot. Mm. I mean, and on that lasting consequences feels like the right moment to talk about defending democracy because, you know, I guess that is what is at stake here when you look at some of the things that that Trump has been trying to do. So talk me through why you set that up and what you've been doing with that. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we a few of us set up a group defending democracy together. There are other efforts like this. This is probably maybe the highest profile group of Republicans or in some cases, former Republicans, uh, because we did think that liberal democracy was in some respects at stake is it 1932 or 1933 in Germany? No. But, you know, it turns out liberal democracy, the rule of law, respect for the Constitution, just basic civic comedy and peace can be taken for granted until they can't be taken for granted. What's most depressing is all the people who two years ago said, well, don't worry, you know, we can always oppose him in the primaries in 2020. We can always check him in Congress. His, his cabinet officials aren't going to, they're serious people. They're not going to let him get away with this. That has not been the case. Uh, and indeed, many of the same people who tried to tell me in 2017, 2018, don't worry too much. They're now endorsing Donald Trump for re-election. They're minimizing any concerns about uh, all the things that are happening in, in terms of the rule of law and the demagoguery and the uh, incitements to violence and the justifying of vigilantism and so forth. Uh, the, the progression of, of, of Trump normalization and Trump rationalization among Republican elected officials and conservative elites has really been astounding. And that does make me worried about democracy. So now... You've taken the step to fight for Biden, which, you know, I can imagine has been difficult and has drawn quite a lot of attention. And you're fighting against Trump directly in certain states with this new uh, 
campaign that you've launched. So, so talk me through your thought process for doing that. I think with Biden, one can very honestly say that he is not outside the mainstream. And he personally, clearly, if you watch his rhetoric, if you saw the Democratic convention where he had, where they went out of their way really to have Republicans speak uh, or feature Republicans on video and so forth, uh, he, he really does want to unite the country. Now, he, he may not take on the left of his own party as much as I might like. He may, of course, pursue policies that I won't agree with. But I do think he, he is the right person to try to restore some basic civic norms and to strengthen our institutions. And you're targeting Florida specifically in one of these campaigns. And obviously, that's what we're focusing on in this podcast. And that's what we're trying to understand the state's significance more broadly within American politics, but also its own peculiarities and particularities. And you've called your campaign in that state Project Orange Crush, which I have to say I I think is a very good name. So tell me about Florida specifically. What are your hopes there? And, and what are you hoping to convince people of? If you look at 2018, the most recent off-year elections, Republicans won the governorship and the Senate seat in Florida, which depressed a lot of Democrats. But they won each race by one point, one percentage point, actually one of them by half a percentage point. And Biden's a more attractive, I think, Democratic candidate than the, the people running in 2018. Trump's alienated some people. So... All in all, it seems to us a winnable state, a huge prize. If, if, if Trump loses that, it's hard to see how he wins the presidency. It makes it much easier for Biden to just take back one of those Midwestern states and that he's pretty much got it. Florida, we think, could be really the key state, though, in 2020. Republican voters against Trump think that there are 450,000 soft Republicans or independents in Florida who can be persuaded to vote for Biden or at least to not vote for Trump. And I'm curious about what you hope is going to sort of catch people and, and will resonate with them. I mean, this is a, an extraordinary election, but it's happening at an absolutely extraordinary time. And I wonder whether the way that DeSantis has handled COVID will play into some of this and, and how you see that in your strategizing. I think it could because he's followed Trump's lead. and I don't think it's been to the benefit of Floridians. And I think they have a sense of that. But I would say we're generally... I mean, one of the things we've done at Republican Voters Against Trump, this is not Florida specific, though we will do it in our big push in Florida, is get ordinary, as we set up a website and urge people to send in videos. And so we've had 700 of them we've released so far from genuinely generated on cell phones by Republicans all over the country, uh, old and young, men and women, veterans, evangelicals, upper middle class, suburban, suburbanites, you know, uh, all kinds, uh, explaining why they can't vote for Trump in 2020. I voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and I swear I will not make that mistake again. My regret and embarrassment couldn't be stronger. I'm Marianne Frantino. And I'm a former Republican. We found out that he would say anything or do anything. That was the last straw. Of course, then there was this COVID disaster. The man's not fit for office. I can't stand by and honor a choice for president who chooses to push people away in disunity. Having voted Republican all my life, I would vote for a can of red tomatoes if there was two choices on the ballot, Trump or a can of red tomatoes. So, Bill, I can't leave without asking you for your Florida prediction and, of course, your 2020 prediction. 
I think Biden will win Florida and win the election, and I think win actually the election pretty handily. Uh, and that would be that would be a good thing. It won't, God knows, it won't resolve all of our problems, but at least it it, it puts us on a path where we can begin to resolve these deeper problems. It feels like America is coming apart. Black Lives Matter protests, counter-demonstrations from pro-Trump supporters, shootings on the streets. Whatever happens in November, the consequence is going to be felt for years to come. And whatever is in store after the election, fault lines will remain along race, class, education, age and gender. So I asked Jackie, what would she be looking out for in Florida on November the 3rd? And quick as a flash, she said. (laughs) Lawyers, I think. (laughs) Because I asked every person I spoke to, what do you foresee a post-election Florida or a post-election America looking like? And the consensus seemed to be, just from among those I spoke to, that it will not necessarily be clear-cut by November the 3rd. Florida, of course, has a very checkered history in its ability to deliver swift, concise and clarified election results. And I, so I think nobody's kidding themselves that um, that there might not be some kind of, of drama that goes on in Florida in, in line with that tradition. Any fear about the security of, of the country after an election like this? Um... I do feel that if Donald Trump's elected again, I mean, look what happened when he was elected last time. People went bonkers. Absolutely, the, I was the Democrats went, Democrats went, they, there were people crying in the streets. So I think that, um, I, yeah, I think that the Democrats, if he's elected again, it, it's gonna happen again. So I do worry about that, but we have to have our, our election and have our fair election and we can't, change things because of that? I think um, I would be looking to, for how, as and when, if and when there is a clear result, how or not that is accepted and embraced. So I think looking for a clear or clarified result might not be forthcoming, and I think the result could take some days to be determined. And and on the other, just that post-election America, and will it or won't it settle down? But I want to return to Carl, our chronicler of Florida, to ask him, what's at stake? I think everything's at stake. You know, I mean, I have to think about, I mean, it's corny, but I think about my kids and my grandkids and uh, the world their kids are going to have to live in. Florida, he said, is hoping this time someone else will make a mess of the mechanics. I I think it's going to be close in Florida as it was in the last election. I think it's going to be close. I don't know. I can't predict. Last time I wasn't sure either, and everyone said, you know, Clinton was going to win Florida easily, and I never felt that because Florida is a bunch of different states. It's very hard. It all depends on the turnout and also depends on how how reliable the vote counting is. That's going to be everywhere. I, I wouldn't predict whether Trump would win or lose right now. And I think whatever happens on November 3rd, it's going to be litigated for a long time because he's already got lawyers in place. At every election we go through this, we pray that another state screws it up. As Floridians, we root for others to screw up. Listening to Carl, Bill and Jackie speak, it's clear that there are some very basic things that are at stake here. And Florida and the strange bubble of the villages are the perfect barometer. 
Things like sincerity and civility in American politics, those values that were so revered in Kennedy-era politics, I wonder, do they exist anymore and can, can they survive this moment? And empathy, can we bridge the political divides or other sides now just too deeply entrenched? Whoever wins in November. There are a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of anxiety, but one thing I think is guaranteed, some weird shit, to use Carl's phrase, is going to go down in Florida, that dark and unsettling heart of American politics. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. In fact, all week in our app, we've been publishing stuff to really arm you with knowledge ahead of the election to help you make sense of what is coming. We've got a special on postal voting, a profile of Valerie Biden-Owen, Biden's sister, who's been his political advisor for pretty much his whole career, and everything you need to know about Mar-a-Lago. So to get our app and to get access to everything that we do, including all of that stuff, just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for a 30-day free trial. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job. And we have to find out who did they kill? If it's possible, how are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.